So when I was in seminary, our Christian ethics professor used to tell us that nobody comes to Scripture in a vacuum. One of the great Protestant heresies, he would say, is sola scriptura. Do we just come at it? Me and, me and the Bible. Me and the Bible. And he says that in that, we fail to recognize that we don't read or hear or speak without there being all kinds of influences in our understanding. Our context, our situation. It's, it's not that the Spirit doesn't speak in or through that or in spite of that. But it's that we have to recognize our, what we bring to the, to the text. What we bring to the word and, and how it is unpacked for us very often depends on the lives we've lived or what we've been taught and so forth. And he said you got to call that into check. Because it's about perspective and your perspective, my perspective, isn't the only one out there. And my experience or your experience isn't any better or worse than anybody else's. But what we need to do in order to faithfully engage the scripture, faithfully engage the text, is realize that we all bring to it our experiences, our preconceived ideas. Wesley, John Wesley would say that scripture is always primary for how we understand life. Always primary. But then our understanding of Scripture, our interpretation of Scripture, is influenced by our tradition and reason. That would be contemporary minds, perhaps, as reason has changed over, over the millennia. Scripture hasn't changed, but reason has changed. And then certainly the experience of the Holy Spirit. Scripture, and then tradition, reason, and the experience of the Holy Spirit. How is it that the Spirit is alive and well and lives and moves and breathes and goes between our reading and our understanding and our living of God's holy word? So if you will, please stand. I'll be reading from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 1, the first nine verses. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother of Sosenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who live in every place, call upon the Lord our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give Thanks to my God always for you because of the grace God has been, has been given in you. Sorry. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. For in every way, every way, you have been enriched by him in speech and knowledge of every kind. Just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you. So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Oh God, we pray that you would stir us up. 
Discomfort our souls, open our hearts and our minds so that your spirit may speak in and through, beyond, to, and to us. For it's by your spirit that we are able to be faithful hearers of the word, but not only that, but also faithful doers. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So I don't think I have to remind you, but I will briefly, that words matter. Words absolutely matter. Spoken words, written words, tweeted words, retweeted words, posted words, words of encouragement, words of criticism, words that uplift and words that tear down. Words have impact. Not just on those who hear them, but on those of us who speak them. Words are important. And of course, we are people of the living word in Jesus Christ. We are those through whom God, in whom God works through his spirit. God has always been using word to bring about life, to bring about new life, creation, start over. Words matter in our tradition. In the beginning, we are told that God spoke and light was separated from darkness. In the beginning, we are told that God spoke and there was the earth and the land upon which there were animals and fish and fish in the sea. God spoke all of life into being and I don't think it matters if it happened in seven 24-hour period or seven billion years. It doesn't matter. What's important is that we understand that it is the word of God that has the authority over all of creation from beginning to end. And then, of course, the word of God embodied in Jesus Christ, the law, the grace, the hopes, the dreams. God said, you want to know what this looks like? Here it is. Here he is, the living word. Of course, how we often refer to Christ, the living word. That word that continues to move and breathe among us through the power of his spirit. That word that is not simply written on the page once and for all and left in the dim mystery recesses of the past. It's that living, creative, generative word that the Holy Spirit uses to inform our lives, reform our lives, transform our lives. For God meets us where we are, but doesn't leave us there. We know that. Sounds a little bit cliche, but it's so true. So words matter, and and we could go on about that. But I also think it's important for us to remember that words matter, but so does how we receive them, how we hear them, how we process them, how we enact them, live into them. How is it that we hear words that might be different from how someone else has heard them? And how is it that together, in terms of believers in the church, how is it together that we begin to understand more fully the wisdom and will of God? Because we don't hear words solely in a vacuum or solely in and of ourselves. We hear words to bring into the community, to chew on them and to understand and to wrestle with them when they are spoken and heard and enacted. Perspective, right? Perspective is huge. It's important. Now, perspective is reality, we've heard it say, right? We've heard that. Perspective is reality. 
And I don't think that means that we can make up facts or just listen to what suits us. But, but th- what that means is that we've got to pay attention to, again, how it is we hear and engage and encounter words spoken and recognize that, that, that it's not once and for all or in and of myself. Each of us brings our various perspective, as I mentioned Wesley would say, our various traditions, our reasons, our experiences, and the spirit, and that varies for how we encounter the word of God. And so we begin here understanding how important perspective is. And I think for our 2020 vision, that's what we're going to do today. How is it that 2020 vision is encountered with perspective? And what does it mean now? So I'm going to talk about three letters today. And how three letters that that are part of who we are and call us to account, challenge us, comfort us, ask us for more, transform us, reform us as necessary. I want to talk about how the words on the page are encountered in perspective and then lead us to be more faithful. Now, words in our country's history have been powerful. We often understand that words speak things into being. All of us were created equal, right? Or so we've said. And while it might not have been true, wasn't true in our country's history, it's something that we've been working towards. It's becoming that more perfect union. The words were spoken and heard, and yet not fact, but goal that we worked into. Four score and seven years ago. We know those words about the healing of a nation, about the the healing of the rift and the reconciliation of peoples after a civil war that just about destroyed us. We have nothing to fear but fear itself, right? You know those words. Those are words that sought to comfort us and and equip us to engage in times that seem to be the undoing of humanity. If that's World War II, it's pretty close. I'm Roosevelt. And of course, the words of Martin Luther King. Over and over again, he challenged us in any number of ways. Perhaps his words brought comfort and hope to some, but to others, they were a challenge, a direct challenge to comfort, to how we lived our lives. So the latter that I'm going to talk about first, is a letter that challenged my perspective in ways I could never have imagined. And of all the words of Dr. King, this is the, the document that I come back to time and time again because in this document, he speaks right to me. And he speaks right to the Christian church. You know he was a preacher. And he has a message for the church Over and over again. But this, the letter from the Birmingham jail, do you know that one? Letter from the Birmingham prison written during the 11 days that he was incarcerated in Birmingham for speaking out against segregation. For saying that moral law supersedes man's law and they put him in prison for it. We know the stories. And in this letter he addresses it to my fellow clergymen. And he's got my attention. To my fellow clergymen, I am so disappointed. I had hoped for more. I had dreamed of more from my brothers and sisters in Christ. You know 
how God values all people. And, let, and yet, you've let us down. In that letter from the Birmingham jail, he says this, and it just cuts right to my heart every time I think about it. He said this, he said that the white moderate church is more of a detriment to the civil rights movement than any other force, white supremacy included. The white moderate church, the white moderate pastor who out of fear refuses to speak up and call a spade a spade and a sin a sin. Those of us with any semblance of power who refuse to speak up. You changed my perspective. I learned a lot in my home church in Georgia. I learned a lot of good foundational things. But I never heard about my responsibility to challenge the status quo when it was out and out sinful. And in that letter, King writes these words. He writes that if believers do not speak up for the least among us, and if the church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit, the spirit that will say, I'll do anything, I'll give it all in order to be faithful, I'll even sacrifice my own security and safety, my own well-being, my own wealth, my own accumulations, that if the church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, then we will be reduced to nothing but a social club. Ouch. That was Dr. King's uh, prediction and how we do it. Are we willing to hear words that discomfort and disturb us? Are we willing to hear from a perspective other than our own that calls us into account, that calls us to speak up and speak out, even when we don't think we're directly affected, and yet it tears apart our soul when we keep quiet, and we absolutely are affected. Our silence in the face of oppression or persecution or discrimination or hate, our silence as a people of God is a soul issue. And while there might be physical and material and other implications out there and among us, our souls are on the line. Hate crimes are on the rise in our country. Are we speaking up? Are we saying, don't say that word, don't use that language, don't talk about another human being that way when we hear it? Are we saying, stop? Sometimes the sin of omission, that which we don't do, is just as harmful as a sin of commission, that which we do do. Maybe the language isn't our own, but do we, when we hear it, do we say no? That's a spiritual issue. That's a perspective that the eyes of faith are called upon to have. We say, stop. Hey, this is... Hate crimes on the rise, particularly against Latinos right now, But also, we now have more crime against people than we do against property and hate. Less defamation on property and spray painting and all, and more crime targeted towards human beings. Do we say, stop? This may be an issue of citizenry. It may be an issue of decency. It is absolutely an issue of faith. Dr. King says to the moderate church, 
If we don't return to our sacrificial understanding of how it was the church began, then we're destined to become little more than a social club. Are we on our way? If so, pull it back. Pull it back. Another letter that we'll engage today, of course, is the letter to the church at Corinth. And this could be just about any of Paul's letters. I could have used just about any of Paul's letters this morning. Because Paul often greets the churches that he founded in similar way. It's, it's a rhetorical style, but I think it's more than that. He's calling the church out and naming who the church can be, could be, if we are faithful to the leading of God's Spirit. If we embrace the gift that God has given to us already. If we know that we are capable of all things that God would call us to. I love it because he speaks to the church in a way that calls us forward. In a way that equips and empowers us. And we see it throughout his texts, throughout his letters. Now, Paul founded letters all around Greece and Turkey. And you'll see the, the various ones in the scripture. But in Corinthians in particular, I love it because what has happened, and as the church moved out of Jerusalem, it encountered a world of huge, enormous diversity. People of all cultures and times and places, all races, all socioeconomic groups. The church was massive. And who the Spirit spoke to and brought in and equipped for ministry. And sometimes that diversity stirred people up a little bit. And people took sides. Can you imagine? People thought that their perspective should be right. People, the, the Jews that had become Christians, in Corinthians at least, didn't want anybody to eat worship, uh, sacri- meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. That would have been the end of the, of the community, according to them. Their perspective, right? So anyway, Paul, as he begins to address these, these issues in the church, these different perspectives, he calls us into the same mind and the same perspective, unifying us with his greetings and telling us, calling us to be who it is he knows we can be by God's spirit. He says things like, to the saints who have been sanctified by the word of God. That's a tall order. To the saints who have become believers in Christ. He's not done with you yet. There's more to do. You have been sanctified by the spirit. You have been called and equipped to do more. To work together for the sake of the gospel. To be a part of what I am doing in this world. To live in such a way that bears testimony to me. That's the common purpose. That's the lens from which we now see. And here it is. How we doing? He says. And he goes on to tell them, even perhaps in this, in this time of seeming scarcity, even perhaps in this time where they felt like money was better spent on X, Y, and Z, he said, you know what? You've got everything you need to do my ministry. You've got everything you need to do my ministry. I have equipped you in any number of ways and not just in financial resources. I've given you every gift you could possibly imagine. And we see that teased out later in Corinthians. I've given you every gift. Gifts of exhortation, gifts of healing, gifts of evangelism, gifts of teaching. You've got it covered, people of God. You've got what you need. Don't let anybody tell you you don't. 
Because I'm here to tell you that you do. He reminds the church at Corinth that you, we, have been set apart for our witness. We are to be a distinct entity in this world. That's who the church is called to be. We're not to blend in. We're not to to, to make nice all the time. We are to challenge sin whenever it presents itself. We are to engage all people and call them through the Spirit into faithfulness. We're to submit ourselves to the perspective of God. We have been set apart for this unique witness and work in the world. And Paul spoke it and the Spirit lives and moves and calls it into being. That's church. That's how we begin to understand who we are, not simply from our point of view or what makes sense to us, but from the point of view of God who has called all of us together for a reason. Nobody's here by mistake. Every single person is necessary and needed and equipped and gifted and equal. Equal parts of this body of Christ. We are set apart for this witness, for this ministry, to be who it is God calls us to be. The letters of Paul remind us of that time and time and time again. The third letter that I think is important for us to consider today. I'm going to set it up in a little bit of context before I read it to you. This is to a church that's more than 230 years old. This letter is to a church that has existed not for 400 years, but in four centuries, 17th century, 18th century, 19th century, and now. This church has been around for a long time. This is to a church that has encountered all kinds of iterations of what it has meant to be Methodist, up and down the scale. This is a church who found itself on the wrong side of the Civil War, and yet for some reason God kept us going. It kept us moving. This is a church that came together for the sake of the people in this community, particularly the poor. That's how it started. This is a church, though, now in a community that has one of the highest incomes, average incomes in the state, still struggles with its own income. This is a church that has seen leadership come and go, staff come and go, members. We're missing some faces that are dear. And yet this is a church through whom and in whom God sees fit to continue to work. This is a church that's part of a denomination that's causing all kinds of concern among the people. And yet this is a church whose people say right here, right now, for the purposes of Christ, we are, we will be, and continue to exist. And we are praying and studying and meeting and looking to what it is God is calling us to next. Because God's just not done. Not with this church. Not with this gathered body of believers who are bound together by our baptism, who are bound together by the grace of God, who come together not in the name of any outside entity, but for the sake of Christ and his witness in the world. That's the context. Here's the letter. To the church of God called Harrison. 
to those of you who are growing in Christ each and every day, bound together to one another in love and by grace, bound together with every church and every time and space, I give thanks for you. I give thanks for who you are and who you are called to become. I give thanks that God is not finished with your witness yet and that God continues to work in and through you. To the church called Harrison, God has given you everything. Everything that you need to be his people. God has given you faith and perseverance and God has given you trust and wisdom. God has given you everything we need to be so much more than a social club and a bunch of do-gooders. God has given you perspective and glimpses of what sacrificial living looks like. Glimpses of what a sacrificial church can look like. God has given us the opportunity to be more authentically church. Every day we get up, we have more opportunity to be more authentically who it is God is calling us to be. You have everything you need, people of God at Harrison, if you prioritize your lives, if you make decisions based on what it is God wants to do in and through you. You just need a little perspective. You just need a little kick from the Holy Spirit. You just need a little challenge, perhaps a little comfort. Sustenance, grace, it's all there. You've got it. You've got everything you need. I know beyond a shadow of the doubt, Harrison Church, you have no lack of spiritual gifts because God has called you to this place. And the calling that God puts on our lives is a calling that God enables to happen. And if you don't think so, you're thinking too small. Or with your own perspective rather than that of the Spirit. God has called and equipped for centuries. God is calling and equipping for centuries more. You just have to see the possibilities with eyes of faith. You just have to seek what it is God is already doing. And choose to be a part of that. I want us to pray together by singing. The words will be up on the screen. But I invite you to consider how it is God has called us. How it is God has equipped us if we choose to see life with eyes of faith from God's perspective and not our own. If we choose to see abundance as we look toward the kingdom of God rather than the scarcity that's preached about from the kingdom of humanity. Let us pray. And now may each of us continue to be reformed, transformed, informed, and led by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that we are set apart for a witness, a faithful witness, that embraces all and becomes part of God's beloved community. Go in peace.